to, I think, teach back there. So uh, if you're looking for your children, do not leave the church and say, well, I just couldn't find my kids, so I just went on to lunch. No, no, no. We know where you stay. We will return your children, just like the police will if you leave them at Walmart. We've discovered. Anyhow, hey, we've been talking about the Ten Commandments this summer. And so uh, these were given by God. God wrote them with his own finger on tablets of stone. And obviously they have to be pretty important because there's not 11 of them. There's not nine of them. There's 10 of them. God said, these are the ones you need to know. And so I want you kids to know that. And we've been, we've been working with uh, our, our fingers to remind us of the commandments and by the end of the summer we're going to have all 10 down can you do your finger like this number one number one the number one commandment is there is no other god there is only one god okay the second commandment is like this this is the way i do it it's two fingers but it's like this you shall make no graven image and you shall not bow down to it. So no graven image like this. You shouldn't make anything with your hands that you worship and you consider God. There's only one true God. You don't make him in any likeness and you don't bow down to anything else other than the one true God. Hmm. The number three symbol is very difficult. This is really tricky. It's this. You knew that? I know. Okay. But what we're going to do is the third commandment is this. What we're going to do is we're going to put our three fingers together like this um, and then we're going to put them over our mouth mm-hmm. but if I leave it over my mouth you can't really understand me so you can leave it over your mouth number three is this you shall never take the Lord's name in vain okay so we're going to have to talk about this the number third the third commandment God said you need to reverence my name Anytime you speak my name, you need to speak it in a way that's reverent, that is worthy of who I am. You should never use it flippantly, lightly, or as a cuss word. God's name is to be reverenced, is to be revered. So anytime we use the name God, Lord, Jesus, Christ, in fact, they're all names that we've sung this morning in our time of worship. We should never use those in a way that is not reverent of God. And some people use those names as what we would call cuss words. We should never do that. That's right. Um, And any time we give an oath and say, in God's name, I'm going to do that, we need to do it because it reverence Him. Any time we call in God's name, or speak something in the name of God, Christ, Jesus, Lord, whatever it is, we need to do that in a way that is respectful of Him. There is no other God. You shall have no graven images, and you shall not speak the Lord's name in vain. Anytime the name of God comes out of your mouth, it needs to be something that is respectful to Him. Okay? Y'all got those three down? There's going to be a pop quiz next week, okay? Oh, we're going to find out who's been listening, who's been not. And there's maybe even some adults that I may just corner you somewhere and ask you what those three are. So, all right, thank you. Y'all kids have been awesome.
in Isaiah in the 35th chapter, verse 8. Isaiah 35, 8. It says, A highway shall be there and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. God says when he does his work that he wants to do in Isaiah's day, when it comes to fulfillment, he said there will be a highway of holiness, or what I have described starting two Sundays ago as the road to holiness. God has set forth a path, a road, a highway, whatever we want to call it, that takes us to the place that he wants us to be at. The ultimate goal is, is holiness. Um, we have to be very careful as we travel in life that we take the road that God wants us to be traveling on. Solomon in Proverbs says, There is a way that seems right to man but it leads to death if we travel in our own wisdom it is very likely we will take a wrong turn in life and we will not end up at the destination God wants us to be at so many of these experiences when I, I read the Bible I think of Africa uh, I, we are blessed this morning to have Beth Smith is here, um, and she and Aaron, Fred and Joyce Smith, son and daughter-in-law, are missionaries in Uganda, and I think they made a su surprise visit in the last week, and so we are blessed to have them here with family. But Beth, so many of these experiences, and when I read things in the Bible, Africa, and my experience in Guinea comes up. And the thing about Guinea, I don't know about Uganda, it's probably much more civilized than where we go. I'm picking, probably not. There are no road signs. You know, it's like you're just traveling and you come to this town and you don't really know for sure what road or what route you are to take. And we've taken some wrong routes. In fact, recently going through Liberia. Uh, if you are not careful... You will take a wrong turn, and it's not going to say this is no longer Highway 6. You go, oh, oh, this is Highway 7 now. We're on the wrong road. No, there are no, there are no road signs. You're just going to keep driving, and you're going to go, man, this just doesn't really look familiar anymore. I don't think we're on the right road. And um, the same is true in our lives. If we are not careful we will take a wrong turn. And if we depend upon our own ingenuity and wisdom, it is very likely that we will take a wrong turn. Isaiah said, in the words of God, that there will be a highway there and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. It is very important in our journey this summer through the book of Isaiah road to holiness that we understand some things at the very beginning here's the other thing that I realized 
the sooner in your journey you take a wrong turn probably means the further you get on down the road, the further you're going to be away from your destination. Does that make sense? Now, if you take a wrong turn later on in the journey, you might be okay. You might be able to get back. But if you miss it from the get-go, if you get on the wrong highway to start the journey, hmm, we don't know where you're going to end up. But certainly you're not going to end up where you thought you would end up. It is very important, as we kind of have really just started this sermon series of sermons that we understand some things there's some th- some things that are very basic that we really can't move on to the next steps in the journey unless we establish these things and the truth that we have to establish today is that the road of holiness is determined by God not me I don't in somehow in my mind create this image of what holiness is and therefore I'm going to I'm going to form this plan where I'm going to get to holiness. Mm-mm. It's not going to happen. You've taken a wrong turn at the very beginning of your journey if you are trying to determine in your brain in your understanding what it will take for you to be holy. The first one of the first establishing truths is that the road is determined by God and the reason it is determined by God is because God is holy he is holy holiness is at the very core of his essence he is the one who determines holiness not me we're going to talk more about it this morning but you have to understand this from the very get-go and in fact it's a truth that is non-negotiable God is holy And he is the one who determines what holiness is. It doesn't matter in my mind what I think holiness is. Holiness is at the very essence of God and he will be the one who will determine our holiness. We cannot choose our own path to holiness. When we do, we begin to play God in our lives. We begin to play God in our lives. And we say, oh, I can, I can understand this and I will make these determinations of what I need to do to be the person I need to be. That is not a part of our role in the process. The role in the initial perspective we have to have is that God is holy and God will determine what holiness is. That is not my place. When I take that place and I begin to play God and I begin to formulate in my brain what that looks like. That is the reason, as we began this series two weeks ago, that we started with Isaiah's encounter in Isaiah 6. Isaiah's encounter with holy God. You know, that's that's the starting point. And I've said to you that the road to holiness begins with a vision of holy God. We have to see God for who he is. And then eventually, and then what happens then is then we begin to see our lives for what they are from God's perspective. And then God begins to bring about his redemption and his process of purification and consecration to our life. We have to begin with a vision of holy God. And so we have to see God for who he is. And so I know I read this 
last Sunday. And when Jeannie asked, what are your verses for this week? I said, no, no, it's just the same verses. We will not move past this. Now, we're going to read some other verses this morning. But I said, no, it's the same. The title's the same. The scripture's the same. We have to begin with the vision of holy God because he is the standard of holiness. He is the one who determines what holiness is. And if we rush past this point, we veered off the wrong road and we will not end up where God wants us to be. And so Isaiah's experience, his encounter with holy God in Isaiah 6, the first four verses, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Of all of the things that could have been spoken by the angelic beings to describe the character and the nature of God, they said he is holy. And in the Hebrew way, I've said this before, but understand this, I'm not really a Brother Cody, I'm not a Hebrew expert. I think, though, from Hebrew class, that one class I woke up, there is no word for most holy. The Hebrew way of saying most holy is to repeat it three times, holy, holy, holy. And it's not just that God is holy, He is most holy. He, he becomes our standard of holiness. Holiness emanates from Him. At His very essence is holiness. He is the standard bearer of holiness. Isaiah life is marked by this encounter that he has with holy God. And as, as I described, that experience in Isaiah 6, and we'll come back to it each week, becomes a microcosm of his message and his ministry. And so this is the way I picture this, and I'm just a real, I'm, I'm kind of a visual guy and I'm a simple guy. My sister said to me one time, and she said, I really enjoy your sermons. I can really understand them. They're very simple. I took it as a compliment. I don't know that she really meant it that way, but anyhow, I said, no, I think, anyhow. When we begin to read through the book of Isaiah, it's almost like, for me, the way I visualized it this morning, it's like traveling down a road, and there's certain things that we see, and there's certain things that we see consistently as we travel down the road. And one of the things that we see, and we, we, we talked about this last Sunday, is that we see that God's name, his, his, who He is, is glorified. He is exalted. And it comes from this experience in Isaiah 6, in which He sees the Lord high and lifted up. And so you, you travel down the road through Isaiah, and you're seeing that His name, obviously the predominant name, almost unique to the book of Isaiah is the Holy One of Israel. But He's the Mighty One. He's, you know, He's Everlasting Father. He's Lord. He's all of these things. And as you travel through the book of Isaiah, you see all of these signs of the glory of God that, that Isaiah exalts Him because he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And that, so that becomes a microcosm becomes a part of his whole message and ministry to relate 
the exaltedness of God. Hmm. That's one of the things that we see as we travel down the road through the book of Isaiah. Something else, though, that we see somewhat relates to that, and I want to talk about it this morning. Um, and hear me out on this one. The other thing is that as I read, one of the other things as I read through the book of Isaiah, we travel down the road. Yes, God is exalted. The other thing that comes up, and we're going to read several scriptures this morning, is that the people of Isaiah's day were actively religious people. Bless their hearts. Bless our hearts. It's kind of interesting that part of the message that comes from Isaiah is that you are a very religious people. I want us to look at some of these. It starts in Isaiah chapter 1. We're just going to kind of read these and maybe make a few comments. Isaiah 1 in verse 10. We're going to read through 15. We're going to read several of these. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10. The prophet says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now, let me just tell you, if you're referred to as the people of the rulers of Sodom and Gomorrah, this is not an endearing term. This is a jab. This is the epitome of saying you are sinners. You are sinners to the core. And he's called them out. You are the worst of sinners. You are like Sodom and Gomorrah. Here it is in verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? He doesn't just say you're sacrificing to me, but there are a multitude of sacrifices to me. You are an extremely religious people. You are doing all the things according to the law. But why? Says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. I need to stop right there. Wait a second, God. No, you were the one that set up the whole sacrificial system. We were were doing this in obedience to you. God says it's useless. We're going to get to the reason why here in just a minute. But the point is, if you think you can just do religious things and it leads you down the road to holiness, mm, you got another thing coming. Because, you see, when we take religious ritual practices rules, whatever we have, and we say, oh, I've determined my road to holiness and I'm going to do this so that when I get to the end of that, I'm going to be before God and I can say, look how holy I am. You are, and I am sadly mistaken. To think that I can come up with my own plan of holiness and my own religious ritual that I can control and to think that I am somehow, it's going to be pleasing to God. God says it's futile, it's useless. 
Incense is in a verse 13 is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, all these special times where you were going to gather before me to show how religious you were. God says, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. And we start to get to the reason why. You're doing these religious things, but your life doesn't match up to it. And I want you to know if your life doesn't match up to it, it doesn't matter. You know what we do in our our minds as human beings? We say, oh, if I only do these things, this religious ritual, if I abide by these rules, it doesn't really matter some of the other things I do in my life mm, that I'm going to just kind of go, okay, well, that's, uh, mm, it's maybe not right, but you know, anyhow, it's okay. Because I'm doing all these good things, God, surely I'm on the road to holiness. God said, no. When you live a life of compromise where your life does not match up to your holiness, your religious activity means nothing. He says, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. You are guilty before me. And to think that you can just do the religious practice and not live a life that squares with that and it's going to be okay with me? No. You see, as human beings, so many times we justify the lives that we live by saying, well, yes, there may be sin over here in my life, but at least I'm doing these good things over here. I'm doing all these things that are right. And what we've done is we have taken the place of God. We are playing God in our lives, and we're saying, we're going to determine the standards of holiness. God said it just doesn't work like that. The prophet of God comes to expose the sin of God's people and the inconsistency. In Isaiah 29, verse 13, 29, 13. Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. prophet goes on to say your mouths are saying all the right things you've got the sacrifice you've got the special meetings you've got all this religious activity going on and you're saying the right things with your mouth but your heart is not with me um i told you two weeks ago in in that sermon that the most new testament of the old testament books is isaiah we're going to see more of that in the weeks to come through this summer. Uh, This is one of the points. If you think the Old Testament is just about the outward practice of religion, no, Isaiah comes back and says, no, you say all the right things with your mouth, but your heart. It seems like so much when we get to the New Testament, we see this highlighted more, that it's more about our hearts than our religious activity. And we see that in Isaiah the prophet. You honor me with your words, but your heart has strayed from me. You're not right. And in that last phrase, uh, he says, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. 
You're not living out my commandments at all. You're living out the commandments of men. It's what I shared with you earlier to say, we have decided, we have determined what the rules are, the ritual, and the commandments that we will live by so that we can reach to holiness. But it comes the commandments of men. You know who quoted this in the, this, these very verses in the New Testament? Jesus. That's always the Sunday school answer, and it would actually be right in this case. You know when Jesus quoted it and who he quoted it to? It was the religious leaders of his day that Jesus quoted Isaiah and said, your words, you're saying all the right things, but your heart is so far away from me, God says. It's not about your words. It's about the condition of your heart. Your words just reflect what's in your heart. and It's not right. There's inconsistency there. You know, you know the people that Jesus had the biggest problem with were the religious people. Why? Because they had their own set of rules and regulations and rituals that, that said, this is going to get us to holiness. And Jesus said, you don't even understand the nature and the character of God who is holy. In Isaiah 58, I, I just, you know, the way I see this is we travel through Isaiah, and I'm just highlighting a few of these. You're very religious, but to think that your religiosity is going to get you to the road of holiness, you're mistaken. You're greatly mistaken. In Isaiah 56, he begins to talk about fasting. They say in verse 3, why have we fasted, they say? And you have not seen. Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you hold fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen? This is what God says. A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sack, sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the heavy burdens? To let the oppressed go free? And that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. I understand this is kind of poetic Old Testament words. But what the prophet has said is, you say, why hasn't God listened to us? We've been fasting. Why doesn't God look down upon us with favor? Because we've been afflicting our souls. We've been making this great sacrifice for God to do all these things. But it's as if God doesn't hear. And God said, I didn't call that fast. You did that fast to manipulate God. It's man's commandments that said, oh, if I only do this, then God is obligated to do this. God doesn't work like that. 
I'm sorry if I've upset the children. I'm sorry. Sorry. You know, the reality is, is we can leave God on our terms. We only come back to God on his terms. God loves us. He cares about us. He wants to redeem us. But we must come to him in truth. And to think that we can fast or do something else, some religious practice, to manipulate God for him to do for us what we want him to do. Mm. God says the fast that I've called is that you ought to free the bonds of the slaves. And you ought to treat the people uh, that you employ with respect. You need to feed the hungry, clothe those uh, who don't have clothes. You need to care for the poor. Your life needs to reflect the character of God and there's inconsistency in your life. It doesn't match up. So it doesn't matter what you think your sacrifice is if it's accompanied by wickedness. It just doesn't work like that. And then finally in Isaiah 64, verse 6, you may not even have known this verse was in Isaiah. Isaiah 64, 6. Kind of the end of the matter. He says, but we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses. Oh, wow. Sorry. Righteousness. Righteousnesses. Oh, boy. That's a hard word for me to say. That's plural. Righteousnesses. I'm not going to say that again. I'm just going to call it the R word. All of our R word are like filthy rags. They all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. This is where we get that statement you've heard in the scripture. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. We dressed up before God and said, God, look how good I am in my best. It doesn't matter what our righteousness is when we stand before holy God. It's like filthy rags. We don't ever come before God and say, look how good I am. Because he's the high and exalted one. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. We cannot determine the road to holiness. We cannot, we cannot condense it down to a set of rules or practices that say, oh, if I just do these things or I'm obedient or don't do these things, then I'm going to be okay with God and I'm going to get where God would want me to be. just doesn't work like that. Holiness is determined by God. And the point of my sermon is that holiness is a reflection of a relationship with holy God. When Isaiah encountered a holy God, then he started down the road to holiness, realizing that God was the standard bearer, bearer of holiness. It's very important today that we establish this, and then I'm finished. That holiness is not rules-based. It is relationally based. The holiness that we are talking about from Isaiah and all this summer is a reflection 
of a relationship with holy God because he is holy, his essence is holiness, and if we ever have an encounter with him and live that out, it will be reflected in a holiness that is pleasing to him. It will be the road that he chooses. But for us to condense it down and say, oh, but if I only do this and this and this and this, then I will be holy. Mm. Let me use this as a final illustration. I started down this road last Sunday. I didn't make it. Amy, I'm going to owe you something here, okay? So, sorry. I'm just going to go ahead and apologize first. Suppose early, in our, suppose early in our marriage that my dear wife said, I need you to take out the trash. Amen? Now, the good thing about having little men offspring is you assign the trash for a couple decades to them. There was a day that Hayden Thomas left the house. The trash man went to college. I had been the trash man before Hayden, and now I had to assume the role as trash man after Hayden. He was not coming back home to take out the trash. But suppose my wife early on said, you need to take out the trash. Suppose we went to see a counselor because we were having marriage problems. We began to talk about all our problems. And suppose at some point in the commencement of that counseling, I said, but I've been taking out the trash. I'm, I'm connecting to you men. You understand? You thought it was enough to take out the trash? No, 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 no. You are farly. It is not that simple. Because you are dealing with a person that you must deal with on a heart level. It is not about simple, it's not only, now, because I love her, I take out the trash. You understand? I'm not saying I don't take out the trash. But to think just because I take out the trash, oh, we okay? Oh, no. There's a little bit more to it than that. I, I told you I'm just a simple guy. This is the way my brain thinks. What do you think it is with holy God? When we say, oh, but I've done this and this and this and this. God said, no, your heart. I want you to love me with all your heart. That, that, yeah, that's some of it. We teach the Ten Commandments to our kids. But to think you're going to live by the Ten Commandments and you're going to get to heaven? Mm. No, we're going to have to tell them at the end of the sermon series, it's not going to be enough. You're going to need Jesus. It's, he's coming in a couple weeks, I'm just telling you, in Isaiah. If we ever find Jesus in the Old Testament, it's... It's in Isaiah. He's coming. He's going to be our redeemer and our rock. Holiness, please understand today, early in our journey, holiness is not rules-based. It is relationally based. You have to have an encounter with holy God. Amen? Amen. If you stand with me this morning, let me pray, and then we invite you to make decisions today, to come to the altar. Father, we, uh, we acknowledge you as holy God. And Father, I pray this summer that we would understand your greatness, your majesty, and your holiness maybe in a way we've never understood before.
Father, I pray that then our lives would reflect that. So, Father, we commit this time to you and pray that you would use it for your glory. And I pray in Jesus' name. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and So I'll ask our ushers uh, to come forward. Uh, hey, I want you to know that the fourth Sunday night of every month, we have what we call fourth night. It's for men and women. It's called fourth night because it happens on the fourth Sunday of every month. Isn't that ingenious? I had that idea years ago. It's one of my good ones. We don't have to rehearse my bad ones. But tonight, the women will be meeting at Cricket's house out 2109 five miles it's at five o'clock today uh the men will be meeting here and uh i'm not sure what cricket has planned for her bible study i want to show the men it's a powerful incredible dvd called the insanity of god you can google it this afternoon to kind of get a preview of it it's something you won't want to miss uh we'll eat beforehand it's about an hour and a half, so that'll be our time tonight. We'll be through by 7, if not before, and so encourage you to be uh, a part of that. Who would like to come and pray? Lord, we thank you this morning to be in your house. Lord, we thank you for the words that we've heard. Lord, we just, uh, Lord, we, we just uh, lift up this offering to you. Lord, we pray that you would... Help us just to give from our hearts, Lord, to give back to you as you've blessed us, Lord. We thank you for that. Lord, we pray that you'd be with us uh, through the day today as we uh, go to our families, Lord, that you would just help us to uh, just be be faithful to them as, as we're faithful to you, Lord. Lord, we pray that you'd be with us this evening as we uh, go through our Bible studies. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Jesus said that unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it cannot produce fruit. And so one of our marks of the disciple 
is death to self. And we've been watching some biographical clips of people who've died to self. So if you'll watch this morning. Over 200 years ago, a simple small-town English shoemaker named William Carey was moved by the stories of the horrific heathen practices in South Asia. He responded to a vision and a call from God to bring them the saving message of Jesus Christ. Compelled by his missionary calling to this distant land, William Carey dedicated his life to establish his mission works just outside of Calcutta on the banks of the Hooghly River in the small Danish settlement called Serampore. William Carey was a pioneer used by God to stimulate the beginning of God's dramatic modern-day work in India. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Carey practiced this motto. He believed that Indians should be taught to read the Bible so they could become Christians. He translated portions of the Bible into 40 different Indian languages and dialects. He did uh, Bible translation in, in such a big way that uh, by the turn of the century, he doubled the number of translations of the Bible all over the world. He believed that Christians needed to be educated to be leaders in all spheres of society. To accomplish that goal, he established the first university of any kind in India called Sirampur College. We have a university status which was granted by a charter uh, given by King Frederick VI of Denmark. The grand objective of the institution founded by Carey was the promotion of the belief in Jesus Christ's divinity and atonement, which he deemed essential to vital Christianity. Serampore education programs were open to Indians of all creeds, ethnicity, and gender, the first example of true diversity and democracy in Asia. Carey's vision and legacy is even more relevant for today. India needs leaders. Serampore is training them. Serampore College is a mother college in India. It's recognized by the government. Serampore students are from every region of India, representing different denominations, states, languages, and tribal groups. The majority of the church leaders in India today are graduates of Serampore College and affiliated colleges. Today, 50 seminaries and colleges are affiliated and accredited through Serampore University to serve the Protestant churches of India. Serampore alumnus Reverend Obad Nayak continues the carry vision and mission in Orissa, one of the poorest rural states of India. My calling was church planting and preaching the gospel, winning the souls for the glory of God. In this way, Serampore College extended my vision and strengthened my vision to do the church planting ministry in my local area. His practical gospel message is bearing fruit with hundreds of